0: feel like you were born in the wrong era? Do you pine for a time gone by? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Kaya Handley. Welcome to This Retro Life. There's so many things I love about our global vintage community, about finding this passion, growing it, meeting you all, sharing these stories... It's how each and every one of you takes your love of vintage and turns it into something unique and special and interesting. Like this week's guest, Michelle Ferrand. You might know her from Cup of Zest, where she talks a lot about food, vintage recipes and so much more. Michelle and I started by chatting about the history of food and what we can learn from it.
1: So I think that food really shows a way that people lived in the past. I actually come from a background where I did a lot of historical reenactment, like Renaissance and medieval stages. And it's a really cool way to see like, okay, what did people have available and how did they make that delicious and how did it enhance their lives? Because, you know, I personally feel that food is a way to experience the world, but not just nourishment. And there are a lot of creative ways people in the past through history were creative with food with what they had at that time period.
0: We've always seen food as the center of, it doesn't matter if we go right back to the caveman or we go to the 1950s, food has always been the center of what we do individually, but also as a society. So it's always had an important place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really think that it also shows where people are um, you know, with finances and with the way that culture is at the time. So a lot of things that I look at, especially when it comes to vintage cooking, is during the 1940s and 50s, like post World War Two, and what was going on, especially in America, where there's a big push to get women back in the kitchen, and how food literature really encouraged women to get back in the kitchen.
0: How did we see that? What do you see when it comes to food literature that that was the push? You know, all right, you've done your job. You've helped the blokes out. I know you manned the factories, but, you know, back to family life for you.
1: Yeah, so it was a lot of like, hey, this is your responsibility. You should be creative and entertain and nourish your family, but also do it while you're having fun. And it's a really creative outlet for you. It's an interesting thing to see in post-World War II cookbooks where there's a lot of ingredients that are canned for convenience, but also saying that, you know, as a cook, as a housewife, you should be creative with these canned ingredients because that's your duty. Mm. That's your role in society at the time.
0: So where did Michelle's love of food come from? Well, essentially, it was born out of necessity.
1: Both my parents worked growing up. My dad was working three days away from home, and my stepmom would work really late in the evening. So I started cooking because I was hungry, and I was tired <laughs> of eating at 9 o'clock at night. You know, I wanted to have dinner at a normal hour. So when I was about 12, I started cooking, and I was greatly influenced by my grandparents and what they would cook for us, and also, honestly, from watching Food Network.
0: When then did the historical side, the vintage side start creeping into what you were looking at, what you were reading when it came to food, as well as what you were trying in the kitchen?
1: Yeah, you know, actually, that didn't start until um, my mid 20s. So maybe five or six years ago, which is really interesting, because I've always loved food and cooking in general. But it started because my grandma Norma gave me a cookbook from the 1960s. And I was like, these recipes are insane.
0: <laughs> what did we see in those recipes from my very first cookbook.
1: The thing that really got me um was in a Emily Post Weddings guide from I think it's 1963 and there was a recipe for a three-tier potato salad cake. <laughs> Yeah.
0: It's so good. It's so I love it looking back at some of these recipes how they were using um jello and some of those jello salads that they were making and what they were putting in there and meat and jelly combinations like they were just going for it. They were trying everything.
1: Oh yeah, it was like okay, here are some interesting ingredients. Throw it into some gelatin and refrigerate it. <laughs> and it definitely came from like a sense of wanting to stretch your ingredients, especially post World War II and Great Depression era but also from the creative creativity side in the 1960s.
0: Yeah, they wanted to make it look fancy. That three-tier potato salad, there was great pineapples made out of pate that had fancy coloring and jello on it. Like they they wanted it to look like the best thing that anyone in the street had made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely goes back to that sense of like, hey, hey, homemaker, this is your place to be creative. Like make something beautiful that will sit on your dinner table and wow your guests, which is kind of fun.
0: What does experimenting with these recipes with trying them what does it teach you about how far we've come when it comes to food and our our relationship to what we eat each day?
1: I think it's a really cool way to see where people were at. And I know I said that before, but experimenting with the recipes and seeing just like what stages things were at during different time periods and how they evol- evolved over time and this is going to go back kind of far, but especially during the 16th century in Italy. It's a little food history. I was playing around with some recipes and started to see the evolution of an Eclair. So there was a recipe I was like, this looks like an Eclair recipe in the same type of dough. And I think it's interesting to see how recipes evolved over time just because of where we were at as humans of mm. the human race
0: especially if you take that example of an eclair we're still trying to make it new and modern and fancy
1: yeah absolutely i mean you see things now where it's like okay it's got an eclair with some crazy filling um topped with bacon and <laughs> you have all these ridiculous kind of flavor combos just pushing the boundaries
0: Isn't the next step deconstructed? So you'll have the pastry on its own. You'll have the chocolate over there. You'll have a little bit of cream that's squirted into your mouth by a man wearing a waistcoat. You know, that's where we're at now, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. Sign me up for that.
0: (laughs) Food is absolutely your life. Like by day, you're a food stylist, which I think is really interesting in itself. I love flicking through a glossy food magazine and knowing that there are people who have, well, you, Michelle, who has meticulously cooked and created that image. But when we look at food styling and when you see the vintage food styling from the 60s, from the 50s, what stands out to you as, as what's changed or what they used to do then that was special?
1: There was a lot of ridiculous propping, seeing a pie with some ridiculous like elephant. Hitch thing in the background, and you're like, what? What is that? What is that even doing in there? Why is that at the dinner table? I think it's so funny, and I love it. But also, a big part of it comes to the photography of it, and just the way that the food was photo photographed during the '60s, especially in '70s, everything's really in focus. If you look at a food photo from the past, from vintage uh, magazines or pamphlets, everything in the photo is in focus. And nowadays you see food photos where it's, you know, one beautiful hero item. And then the rest of the photos usually out of focus for a style choice. That's the biggest thing, I think.
0: They just wanted the whole, it was like just photographing the whole plate.
1: Here's everything you get. You get all the things. You get your uh, aspic and you get your cocktail and you have your appetizer and a dessert all on one plate.
0: <laughs> and there were often people as well. There were often, you know, women or the, it wasn't even photographed. It was sketched, which was interesting as well.
1: Yeah, the sketches are really great. Um, I actually have a cookbook and I think it's a Amy Vanderbilt cookbook from the 60s. And Andy Warhol actually did sketches for it.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So the sketches in those cookbooks are really beautiful and elegant. And then also sometimes they're very much there um, to take the place of what you would have as a, as a photo to show the steps of the recipe. And I think that's a really cool way to show how to cook.
0: Photography was much more expensive than we have it now as well. Like we can take photos. In fact, we all take photos of our food. We all try to be food stylists. <laughs> Does that mean your yeah. job your job in the modern age has changed a
1: little bit? I think it's definitely changed because everyone can take a photo, but the styling is super important in the sense of I know how to style a plate for a photograph that is potentially going to take a couple hours to get a hero shot of, to get a final shot of. Um, And I can do that, whereas an average cook isn't going to be able to have those skills for a professional photo shoot. And especially with the vintage styling, I've talked to a few food stylists who used to do styling in the 70s. And because it was all on film, they had to make the food last forever, Underneath the lights, which is underneath the photography lights, which is crazy.
0: That means that none of that was actually edible, right?
1: Probably not. (laughs) They were spraying all
0: kinds of things. They were painting it. They were putting all manner of things on there to make it look edible, but it probably wasn't.
1: So much shellac (laughs) that you would not want to (laughs) eat.
0: her passion for vintage and for food, Michelle often brings recipes from the past back to life. So just how hard is that to do? To take a recipe, find the ingredients and create a dish from the past today.
1: There actually aren't a ton of ingredients that you can't find today. The internet's amazing, Amazon is fantastic for finding ingredients that are a little obscure. There are ingredients though, like I was looking for a vegetable gelatin, like a, a salad flavored gelatin, and the only way to recreate that today is to start from scratch ingredients and make your own green salad gelatin flavor. So that's a little challenging, but you have to be a little creative to make those substitutions.
0: I was going to ask just how in- involved it is because we had this great television show on in Australia. I know it was on in the UK as well. It's called Back in Time for Dinner. They would go back to a different era every year. And our uh, our poor stay-at-home mum in the 50s was just exhausted by the end of the day because some of these recipes took her hours to make.
1: Are they quite involved? They absolutely can be super involved and time consuming and it just depends on the era you're looking at. Some of the recipes that I've made recently, I think I was making a baked Alaska pumpkin pie and literally you make the pie crust, you make the pie filling, you need to find the ice cream and freeze the ice cream and then you need to make your meringue and your pie needs to cool completely and then you throw it in the oven for your baked Alaska and you're supposed to do that all on Thanksgiving. It's like, okay, this is a three-hour recipe for a dessert that's not going to last overnight. So... (laughs) They can definitely be time-consuming, and especially if you're trying to find ingredients that you need to make from scratch, that stage can be tiresome as well.
0: That in itself is so interesting. We are so lucky. We live in such an age of convenience, and it's something that we saw start to come through from the mid-60s to the end of the 70s, you know, to have pastry ready to go in our freezer, to be able to buy canned pumpkin pie mix, you know, all of that They just didn't have back then. It literally was make what you can. Uh, Sometimes in some of those eras, it was make what you can on rations as well. So things had to go far. It was such a different approach to food.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a 1940s cookbook and at the very beginning of it, they have a whole section where they talk about, hey, like this is wartime era. We're going to give you the best recipes we possibly can, but we're also going to give you substitutions if you're doing ration. So I think that in the literature of the time period, the authors are really aware of what was going on and what people could use and what they didn't have. So they, tr- in general, I feel like they tried to make, you know, accommodations in their recipes for what was going on in the period. How big is
0: your collection of vintage recipes?
1: I would say I probably have about 50 cookbooks and then I have about 100 recipe pamphlets.
0: Are they ones that would come in the magazines?
1: Yeah, so those will come in magazines or, you know, what I also find super interesting and I love is um, when they would come with appliances. Oh, so those yes. are more from like, it would be like, here's a blender and guess what? Here's your pamphlet and these are all the recipes that you can make with your blender. There's 50 blender recipes and it's so interesting to see that.
0: Do you have a a favorite era when it comes to recipes that you love to cook from?
1: Most of the recipes that I truly love are from the 1930s. Um, They're from a cookbook called the Detroit News Cookbook and it was published in 1933. I just think that the creativity during that era was super interesting and also every single recipe I've made from that book has been delicious right (laughs) off the bat.
0: Which is great because I'm sure there's been some disasters.
1: (laughs) I'm working on American Thanksgiving right now. Yeah. And I did a 1960s cranberry relish mold. And I took it out of the jello mold and it literally oozed off the plate when I turned (laughs) it over.
0: But that's part of the fun, isn't it? Surely. It
1: absolutely is. It's absolutely part of the fun. I love the recipe fails and you're just like, okay, well, how can I make this better?
0: What's great for you and for me is that Michelle shares her knowledge of vintage recipes and cooking and the adventures she has in the kitchen on her blog, her YouTube channel and on social media. Her site is called Cup of Zest and Michelle started it because she found she wasn't the only one who was nostalgic about food.
1: I found that there were a lot of people who are asking for recipes that like their grandmother made or that their grandfather made, and they just didn't have it anymore. Because, you know, to be honest, we don't necessarily cook this way every single day anymore. And personally, I don't eat this way every day. It's definitely more for special occasions. But finding that recipe that reminds you of someone that you loved, and being able to recreate that and have those feelings come up is just like so special.
0: And what response do you get? Do you get a lot of people reacting being like, I remember when my grandmother cooked that or I've also tried that and Mine was a disaster, but yours looks great. Does it start conversations?
1: Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I think it opens up people's memories. And I get a lot of people who say like, yeah, I actually had a recipe that was really similar to this. And then I'll get them asking me for um, more recipes similar to something that their grandmother used to make, which I think is really fun.
0: And what's really great is that you do provide uh, recipes for us to try at home, for us to to give a go. Where can people find, find those, download some of those recipe cards?
1: Yeah, so I have some recipe cards. Um, they're free. You can download them if you go to bit.ly slash retro recipe cards. Perfect.
0: Why should we all give at least one of these recipes a go? Have a bit of fun when we've got a bit of time.
1: They're actually really good. They're really delicious. I know that a lot of the websites like BuzzFeed or whatever, they show the most disgusting recipes of the 1950s. But honestly, if all the recipes during the 1950s were disgusting, we wouldn't be alive because we wouldn't have eaten anything. So those recipes are actually really delicious, and it's just a fun way to look into the past.
0: And again, they were just for special occasions. Like if we were to sit down with a family for dinner in the 1950s, it would have been meat and three veg. Let's be honest. It was the absolutely as- It was the jelly salads for you know very 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 special occasions yep absolutely <laughs> Michelle it's been so great to learn a little bit more about your passion and talk food history everyone should check out Cup of Zest online you post some really great content uh, thanks for being our guest this week
1: thank you so much Kai I really loved
0: it That's it for this episode of This Retro Life. You can find us on Wooshka, iTunes and Stitcher where you can subscribe and, of course, rate and review us so it's easier for other guys and gals to find this podcast. To get more information on today's guest, head to our website, thisretrolife.com. Or search This Retro Life on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We have some photos and videos and behind the scenes and a whole heap more retro fun. So do come and check us out. As always, if you're a vintage guy or gal from any era and into anything from cars to collectibles, we'd love to hear from you. Go to thisretrolife.com and drop us a line. Until next time, I'm Kaya Handley. Thanks for listening to This Retro Life.